MSW Media. I'm Greg Oliar. Four years ago, I stopped writing novels to report on the crimes of Donald Trump and his associates. In 2018, I wrote a best-selling book about it, Dirty Rubles. In 2019, I launched Prevail, a bi-weekly column about Trump and Putin, spies and mobsters, and so many traitors! Trump may be gone, but the damage he wrought will take years to fully understand. Join me and a revolving crew of contributors and guests as we try to make sense of it all. This is Prevail. rule of law is not just some lawyer's turn of phrase. It is the very foundation of our democracy. The essence of the rule of law is that like cases are treated alike. That there not be one rule for Democrats and another for Republicans, one rule for the powerful, another for the powerless, one rule for the rich and another for the poor, or different rules depending upon one's race or ethnicity. To serve as Attorney General at this critical time is a calling I am honored and eager to answer. So yeah, now it's clean up on aisle 45 time. And for a long while yet, it is going to be clean up on aisle 45. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 44 of Clean Up on Aisle 45. It is Wednesday, November 17th. I am your co-host, Andrew Torres, and filling in for Allison Gill is special guest host Eli Bosnick. Eli, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. And I think I speak for your audience when I say, thank God I am not your co-host now and forever, Andrew Torres. (laughs) (laughs) Eli, I'm seriously thrilled that we could find a time to record together. Like, I love talking politics with you. Uh, We, I think, had a a mutual cry and talked each other down uh, after the uh, 2016 elections. Uh, I think (laughs) you are one of the smartest, funny voices in podcasting, as well as the funniest smart voice in podcasting. So um, what's your thought of our overall mission here at cleanup, right? Like, look, obviously uh, a couple of weeks ago, the Democrats got destroyed in the, you know, in the, in the uh, off year election Uh, supply chain disruptions are making it impossible to, you know, order anything. Uh, Gasoline is 80 bucks a gallon. Um, Yep. There's talk of inflation, which uh, I always thought was something that was made up in the Reagan administration to, like, you know, scare economist kids or whatever. Uh, and and Biden's approval ratings are in the low 40s. So um, we're looking at a red wave in 2022 and Trump pulling a Grover Cleveland after that. What's going on? Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I think the midterms are going to be rough. I mean, you got to remember, Trump was a villain who played out on the international stage and damn near half the country still voted for four more years of Baron Harkonnen. <laughs> like, I would love to be proven wrong about that, but I don't think I am. But the good news is I think the 2024 primary is going to be a shit show of all shit shows that Trump comes out on top of. And the country will show up to stop him. So I will take two years of frustration and stalemate over four more years of horror any day. 
I do, do you see that? Because everybody who is a prominent voice in the Republican Party, I mean, you know, I mean, who's who's going to challenge Trump from the perspective of maybe we should be less crazy like you know, Larry <laughs> Hogan? I mean, I don't know, like the, the folks showing up in the polls are, you know, DeSantis, Josh Hawley, Ted Cruz, like, I, I don't know, man. I mean, the good news is the only thing you can count on Republicans to be is power hungry so at the slightest (laughs) chance they might get to be president absolutely every nutbag from the right is going to show up and put their dick on the podium (laughs) for trump to smash with his hardcore supporters of that low 20 percent uh well all right (laughs) i guess i'm looking forward to that hey it's Can I just say, for my shows, great content. (laughs) The primaries, the primaries are primo comedy material. It's the the general election that gets depressing. So uh, before we do anything else, it's time to shout out your amazing patrons who help make this show possible by going to patreon.com forward slash aisle 45 pod and signing up for as little as a dollar an episode. You get a shout out on the show and you get an ad free feed and patrons get a special pipeline to AG and Andrew where they read and respond to your messages. Well, I maybe not your messages, Eli. I mean, look, if you guys didn't want to play Fuck, Mary Kill with the Golden Girls, you shouldn't have accepted my dollar, Andrew. That's on you. That, that is that, on you. That is that is true. And uh, <laughs> other dollars I have accepted this week uh, include <laughs> from Claire Ken, Robert Dillon, David Liedel, Ruth Ann, Charlotte Weigel, Lisa McLean, Andrew Lake, and I became a Patreon to hear Andrew say, I'm a stinky old butt face. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. One dollar and my lawyer will say butt face on the air. Yep, that that is that is true. So uh, with that out of the way, on to the A block. So, Eli, I'm so glad you're here to celebrate the newest holiday with me, Indictment Day. Oh, and me without my Hanukkah candles. (laughs) That's right. Well, Friday at about 5 p.m., we learned that Merrick Garland's Department of Justice, the one that many, including you and I, have criticized for being too slow to indict Trump on federal charges that he didn't pardon himself for where the statute of limitations is ticking, uh, that DOJ handed down an indictment of former White House advisor Steve Bannon. That's right. No word yet on whether they were aiming for Trump and just hit another sandworm by accident. (laughs) That is that is two Dune references in the first six minutes of the show. Yeah. Yeah. I watched it last night. (laughs) Oh, well, please accept my thanks for not watching uh, Boogie Nights. You are welcome, Andrew, (laughs) because that is also on HBO Max. It was a tough chance. Uh, So Bannon was charged Friday with two counts of contempt of Congress after refusing to comply with a subpoena from the House Committee investigating the January sixth attack on the U.S. Capitol. He was indicted by a grand jury in Washington, which I understand is something the DOJ almost never does with respect to a dispute involving Congress. Okay, I'm not going to lie. I actually don't understand that, but that sentence sets you up to explain it. So, Andrew, what, what's the deal with that? What does that mean? <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, these kind of indictments are incredibly rare. They have only happened uh, three times in the past 30 years. But then again, um, past officials of both parties haven't taken the position of, hey, I used to work for Trump, so I can tell Congress to go fuck itself when it issues me a subpoena, right? Like, mm-hmm. there were legitimate disputes in the past rather than sort of blanket nonsense, right? 
So um, the two counts that you mentioned, uh, and, and we'll link to the indictment and to Attorney General Garland's press release in the show notes, um, they are for refusal to show up and provide testimony in connection with the September 23rd subpoena and the refusal to produce the documents that were also requested by that same subpoena. All right. So, Andrew, are these serious charges? Is Bannon going to go to jail, he said, with his fingers crossed? I, no. OK, ah. <laughs> these are these are not these are misdemeanor charges. They're both uh, counts under 2 U.S.C. 192. Uh, but look, this is the only law that applies here. Right. It says every person who, having been summoned as a witness by Congress to give testimony or produce papers upon any matter under inquiry, who uh, or who, having appeared, refuses to answer any question pertinent to the question under inquiry, shall be deemed guilty of a misdemeanor, punishable by a fine of not more than $1,000, not less than $100, <laughs> and imprisonment in a common jail for not less than one month or not more than 12 months. So, you know, you 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 could get uh, some jail time out of it, but I, I, I don't want to overstate kind of the way the system is... <laughs> supposed to work, which is it is supposed to deter you because the founding fathers that, that naively assumed that um, people in civil service would not want a criminal record. Um, yeah, they as, didn't see Bannon coming. <laughs> but so he could do some jail time, some some common jail time, whatever that means. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, that 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 common jail language lets you know that this is a, a semi-old-timey law. This is a law from 1938, uh, which is when Congress stopped enforcing subpoenas on its own by sending out the House Marshal. Mm, not exactly the justice I was hoping for, Andrew. <laughs> yeah, yeah. To be fair, you wrote in our notes, I was hoping RoboCop would shoot him in the penis. Don't tell me not to dream. Do not tell me not to dream. <laughs> <laughs> so am I wrong to be pessimistic about this? Why wouldn't Bannon continue to just defy subpoenas if this is the punishment? I mean, I'm pretty sure he can afford the two grand. Yeah, I, look, I think there are a couple things to think about here, right? First, um, what if RoboCop did shoot him in the penis? <laughs> All right. Then, then second. Second. Remember that this <laughs> indictment is significant to, you know, it might not be significant deterrence to, to Bannon, you know, uh, but, but it is a deterrent to people who do still care about not having a criminal record. And I think that's people like, you know, former member of Congress, Mark Meadows or Bill Stepien, right? Like they are surely pondering right now, do they comply with the subpoenas that the 1-6 committee has sent to them? Uh, and and knowing that, you know, there is a potential criminal charge coming if they get referred out to the DOJ, um, that that I have some optimism with respect to that. And then and, mm -hmm. and third, um, you know, we're we're dismissing Steve Bannon is not Roger Stone, right? Like he's not he's not looking to do a dime as a badge, you know, as a badge of honor so that he can get another Nixon tattoo, right? Like yeah. Bannon complied with the Mueller investigation back in 2017. Like I'm I'm sure, you know, not fully and forthrightly and completely <laughs> honestly, but like he testified against Roger Stone, right? So Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So when you say that, OK, so when Merrick Garland's press release says that, quote, these charges reflect the Justice Department's commitment to show the American people by word and deed that the <laughs> Justice Department adheres to the rule of law, follows the facts and the law and pursues equal justice under the law, end quote, that there's some reason to think that might actually happen. 
Well, I, a, I mean, that sort of sounds like the Superman narrator from the sure 1970s. Does. Sure does. <laughs> so, so let's not get too crazy, right? This was the bare minimum, and I'm glad to see that it happened, right? Like there were folks who didn't think Bannon would get indicted at all. There are Republicans howling right now uh, that you know prior Republican referrals to Democratic DOJ's uh, have not resulted in criminal referrals under this statute. Okay. Mm. Um, it also means I think AG won the bet we made last week. I got to figure it. I got to sort that out. But anyway, oh. but, like, <laughs> but I will tell you after this, right? The the, the indictment came down on Friday, uh, and later that evening, uh, co-chairs of the one six commission, Benny Thompson and God help me, Liz Cheney. Right? They they <laughs> they sent a message to their former colleague Mark Meadows. They said your actions, quote, defy the law and will force the committee to consider contempt or other proceedings to enforce the subpoena. All right. Let's hope they do. Uh, Now, you mentioned that there were three times the courts have ruled in these sort of cases in the past. What happened in those cases? Yeah. So all three resulted in guilty pleas, but there's kind of a little asterisk, right? So two were for uh, Iran-Contra flunkies, if if you remember reading about that in school. Um, One was Elliot Abrams, where uh, still a fun fact today, if you Google his name, you will find that the first result is Elliot Abrams lies to Congress. uh, (laughs) As it should be. As it should be. Uh, The other was uh, a guy, even I I had to look up named Alan Fires, right? A really sort of minor player. Uh, they served less than a year of probation and community service before uh, being pardoned by George H.W. Bush in 1992. And third is a former George W. Bush head of the Office of Special Counsel. That's Scott Block. Wait, wait, wait. Scott Block, that's the guy who destroyed emails and other documents from whistleblowers relating to pervasive discrimination against gays and lesbians throughout the Bush administration, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's the guy who was subpoenaed to testify before Congress to account for his behavior and I believe the legal term is lied his ass off. The the guy that the log cabin Republicans lined up to demand resign. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that guy. Oh, and what happened to him, Andrew? Also, hey, bonus, what happened to the log cabin Republicans while we're at it? I, so so Block pled guilty in 2010. He was sentenced uh, and then on a collateral appeal was allowed to withdraw his plea and uh, admit instead to destruction of property. So uh, he also served a, a small amount of probation, right? Um, All right. And, uh, oh man, like, do you remember the people like that the log cabin people? People who seriously argued that Trump was going to be more gay friendly than Hillary Clinton back in the sure do. Oh, those were good times. Good, good times. times. I'm just sad there isn't a hell for them to go to, Andrew. Well, <laughs> we need to take a quick break, but then we'll be back with a seriously important story that I wrote because goodness knows you listeners tuned in to hear my thoughts on politics. Hey friends, Andrew here for Cleanup on Aisle 45, and today's episode is brought to you in part by Policy Genius. Mashed potatoes, stuffing, cranberry sauce from a can. That's the gross kind. That's a lot on your plate this November. So why not let Policy Genius help by looking for lower home and auto insurance rates for you? Policy Genius makes it easy to compare home and auto insurance in one place. They can help you find home and auto coverage similar to what you have now, but at a lower price. They've saved customers on average $1,250 per year over what they were paying for home and auto insurance. Their team will handle the paperwork to set up your new policy or switch over your current one. Getting started is easy. First, head to policygenius.com and answer a few quick questions about yourself and your property. Then Policy Genius takes it from there. They'll 
compare rates from America's top insurers from Progressive to Allstate to find your lowest quotes. The Policy Genius team can look for new ways to save you more, including bundling your home and auto policies. If they find a better rate than what you're paying now, they'll switch you over for free. Their top-notch service has earned Policy Genius thousands of five-star reviews across Trustpilot and Google. So head to policygenius.com to get started right now. Policy Genius, when it comes to insurance, it's nice to get it right. Welcome back to Clean Up on Aisle 45. All right, Andrew, so today we're going to talk about vaccine mandates because I would argue there is no mess 45 left behind, no exploded jar of pasta sauce, if you will, larger than the COVID-19 <laughs> pandemic. And for a while now, experts have been saying the way out of said pandemic is a vaccine mandate. Now, while the numbers vary from survey to survey, the real world results of vaccine mandates in workplaces have been overwhelmingly successful with yeah. <laughs> somewhere between 95 and 99 percent of eligible employees of airlines and healthcare providers taking the shot once it becomes mandated. Yeah, it's almost as though the free market came up with a solution to the problem. And now the party of limited government would like a regulation to stop companies from insulating themselves from liability and incidentally, and believe me, I know this is not the primary goal, uh, saving lives in the process, right? Yeah, I can't have that. <laughs> Look, I know this firsthand, right? I, I took a transatlantic cruise when I was on vacation last month. I was stuck in a self-contained environment, a metal tube with several thousand people on lawless international waters where a plague outbreak would have been a disaster. And uh, we had zero instances. And you know how they managed it? Um, the ship made you show proof of vaccination and undertake a negative antigen test before you got on board. They enforced sort of social distancing rules, mostly by the crew, right? Um, they retested you at sea, and they had an entire deck sealed off, and I mean like metal bulkhead sealed off on, on deck six uh, in, in case anybody tested positive for quarantine, right? Um, and, and so every last person managed to, be in close, be managed to do a thing that we think of as getting back to normal. Uh, just fine. It works. Yeah. And I mean, that that seems to be a pretty common misunderstanding among people is they're like, oh, it's like this forever. And it's like, no, it, it's it's not like this forever. It's like right. this while a huge percentage of the country are like, nah, I, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's what herd immunity yeah. means yeah <laughs> and I, I also want to say like the reason these free market mandates work i think is that most unvaccinated people are contrary to popular belief willing to get the shot they're just not in a hurry to do it right the problem with vaccine mandates like in the press is that they're often sold as like you're strongly anti-vax aunt kathy shedding a single tear as she goes to get the vaccine so her kids don't starve but in reality most of the people getting the vaccine are politically uninformed about the vaccines and covid so they just haven't bothered they're just like, I don't know, my uncle seems really freaked out about it, right? Mandates for many are the push they needed to get the shot. It's the push they need to get all the shots that we currently use that are mandatory, <laughs> right? Yeah. It's not the third act of silence where Liam Neeson finally agrees to step on a plate with Jesus's face on it. <laughs> Sorry, that might be too deep a cut for this show. Oh, 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 no. Look, look, we do not get enough bewildered messages from our patrons. So by all means, keep going. OK, good. I was worried my Dune and Robocop references were too <laughs> fresh and topical. So sure. glad I could do the Christian movie Scorsese deep cuts. So 
Many of us were relieved when the Biden administration announced back in September that OSHA would be enforcing mandatory vaccination or weekly testing for all companies over 100 employees starting in January. Not the least of which were, you know, companies, right? <laughs> right. Well, quite a few businesses up to this point have mandated vaccines like airlines and healthcare companies. As I mentioned, the looming January date is a chance for those who haven't jumped on board to throw their hands in the air and put their own mandates in place as well. Uh, yeah. And, and again, and, and I, I cannot stress this enough. I represent small businesses, right? I cannot tell you how much this is at, at core a self-interest question, right? If yeah. your office is a super spreader event, you're going to get sued, right? My clients call me all the time to ask, how can they impose reasonable restrictions, right? And if you're thinking about that, you're also worried about employees who want to request religious exemptions or accommodate. It's, it's a real issue. And having a government mandate is an outstanding defense, right? Yep. To say, look, uh, we're, we're just operating under cover of law. We're doing what the government tells us to do. And that provides a significant economic benefit to these companies. And and, yeah. and I'm stressing that, right? <laughs> uh. Yeah, it would have. But of course, a universe where we finally got everyone vaccinated seems destined for an only shitty timeline and not the shit canoe timeline that we're living in. As once again this week, the three-judge Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals upheld a block against the mandate decided by a lower court last month. A judge Kurt D. Engelhart, who, in keeping with the theme and title of the show, is a Trump appointee, wrote <sighs> in his 22-page decision, quote, from economic uncertainty to workplace strife, the mere specter of the mandate has contributed to untold economic upheaval in recent months. I'm guessing he prefers how economically stable and friendly things have been while three quarters of a million Americans have died. I you, oh, yeah, and, and, and look, I don't I don't mean to go all like technically lawyery here, but like it, number one, I never want to hear Republicans again make fun of like the penumbra of the Bill of Rights when you know you're talking about the specter of the mandate. Like go fuck yourself, right? But but number two, and 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 far more importantly, um, economic uncertainty is not a reason that an executive branch cannot implement regulations. Otherwise, there would be no executive branch regulations, which is, of course, what, what these people want. Yeah, to tell that to every political analyst from the 2016 election. But don't worry, Judge Crudy D, that's what I call him, we're close <laughs> like that. He, he anticipated you, Andrew. He adds, quote, of course, the principles at stake when it comes to the mandate are not reducible to dollars and cents. The public interest is also served by maintaining our constitutional structure and maintaining the liberty of individuals to make intensely personal decisions according to their own convictions, even, or perhaps particularly, when those decisions frustrate government officials. So, yeah, the freedom to pwn the libs is especially important when it bothers the Biden administration. Good to know. I, a, a constitutional right to frustrate government. If, I, is That's news to me. Also, I, I want you to put a pin in that liberty of individuals language. I, I have a feeling we'll be talking about that in a little more. Time. Yeah, I yeah. think so. So. Before we get to the merits of this particular demonic pitchfork in the ass of culture, I want to ask a more basic question, which is 
where and how these freedoms sort of actually should be applied. So as our shared listeners might know, you and I disagree, by which I mean I am wrong, about a lot of the accommodations that most people consider reasonable, right? So like, I don't understand why people get religious accommodations like kosher or organic and shamanistic food in prison, for example. So without you having to teach me the entirety of civics, can you explain how I'm wrong and how oppositions to this vaccine mandate are in fact different from otherwise acceptable religious exemptions? Yeah. And and I, I want to phrase my answer in the context of where religious exemption law was pre-2017. <laughs> I was going to uh, say. <laughs> right, which is back when the, la- the last time when I could understand what the Supreme Court was doing, right? Um, so if you take kind of the, that body of religious law, right, um, it, it, the courts have rather consistently since the 1960s drawn a pretty stark dividing line between the kind of exemption you get that is now codified into RIFRA with a sincerely held religious belief, um, which generally gets upheld, uh, versus the kind of objection you have that is based on individual principles or conscience. And in something that I guess made sense to the Supreme Court in the 1960s and has carried through to today, right? Like, if you believe it for a terrible reason, uh, (laughs) that's constitutionally protected. But if it is a sincerely held point of principle, uh, you get nothing, right? And and this came out uh, during the uh, Vietnam War, right, in in the various, dra- you know, what were called the draft dodger cases, right, when people were like, oh, if you're a member of a religious sect that is recognized as pacifistic, uh, that was good enough to be exempted from going over to die in Vietnam. But if what you said was, I believe strongly in the principles of nonviolence, and I have lived my life in accordance with those principles, right? You lost, and you had to register for the draft <laughs> anyway. Um, I, 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 right? I mean, your your giggling is appropriate, um, but but nevertheless, like that's a core feature of our law, and it's something that I think really could come into play. Even at this Supreme Court, well, sorry, let me. I was going to say, and in, in front of a normal Supreme Court, uh, because um, it, 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 these objections, like the vaccine objections, are not even rem- like under the slightest bit of scrutiny. They're not even remotely religious, right? It is, you know, a combination of fear mongering and QAnon, and I'd rather take horse dewormer, and you know, like, and none of that is you know, what we think of as typically being a religious objection. Yeah, no, that is that is fair. All right. So now that I am thoroughly, though, I will say resentfully and ruefully educated. How do you think this thing stands on the merits? Yeah. And and so, you know, by, by this thing, the, the Fifth Circuit overturning the vaccine mandate. Yeah. The reasoning here, the thing I told you to stick a pin in is supremely terrifying uh, because uh, well, here, let me walk through them, right? So remember, this is the party that, as I alluded to earlier, likes to say, oh, yeah, well, where do you find abortion in the Bill of Rights? They uh, sure the way, do. <laughs> yeah, answer to that Fifth and Fourteenth Amendments, but that's not what they mean. They mean literally control F the document for the word abortion, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if that's your test, though, uh, there isn't some fundamental individual right to freedom of contract in the Bill of Rights either, right? So, you know, slightly uh, uh, disparate standards here for the, for the rights they like like versus the ones they don't. But uh, look, 
This kind of broad, sweeping language, and I, I am not being hyperbolic here, has not been seen in legal decisions since what lawyers call the Lochner era, right? Um, that, that is from a 1905 case called Lochner versus New York, in which the Supreme Court struck down a New York law setting a weekly maximum number of hours worked. And again, a uh, maximum. Oh, yeah. It, and again, this was 1905. So it was like 80 hours a week, right? Like, I'm not making that up, right? And, and, and the Supreme Court was like, oh, come on. You you cannot take away people's inherent God-given liberties to contract themselves, to work themselves to <laughs> death, right? Um, and, and the reason they gave was basically the, the stuff you just read, right? Um, and, and, and here's the point. If you ask any lawyer, right, left, right, center, what is the most deplorable era in all of Supreme Court jurisprudence, uh, almost all of them, with the exception of the Trump appointees who don't know and don't care, uh, will tell you the Lochner era, right? They will say, this is a time when the Supreme Court engaged in unbridled right-wing activism to overturn every remotely progressive law that was coming out of uh, a country that was going through, you know, a, a severe shock to the system of being industrialized, the influence of, uh, you know, socialism on uh, on a, a newly emerging economy, right? Like it, it, and the Supreme Court shut that down for thirty years until FDR threatened to pack the courts. Um, huh. Well, that in no way sounds like our terrifying present, Andrew. <sighs> Okay, so my question for you is, what if, as many news agencies have postulated, this thing does make it up to the Supreme Court? Do you, and I'll try not to put my finger on the scale here, think the folks who gave us the decision that no, you're not allowed to close a temple of Orthodox Jews in the middle of New York City at the peak of the pandemic are going to reverse their course on this one? <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, uh, all right. Uh, uh, challenge accepted. But, but look, I, I actually do think that part is a slightly separate question. So if you're looking for a crack of optimism, the court's shadow docket religious exemption cases were about doing the thing that they did, and that is uh, extending what is essentially most favored nation status to churches without ever having to rule on the merits of a case that was briefed uh, for oral argument before them, right? Which is right. a terrifying overreach of power. But, 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 but here's what they accomplished with that, right? So justices like Kavanaugh and Amy Coney Barrett would say things like, well, you know, if you have a secular exemption and you're going to allow people into liquor stores for four minutes, uh, you know, with a mask on to buy the Boda Box Rosé so that your wife doesn't kill everyone in the household, you obviously have to let people in, uh, you know, for an hour and a half to scream at each other uh, and, you know, spit on each other while singing and hugging uh, and uh, sharing crackers. Um, yeah, yeah. And, the, and, the secular version, the, the religious <laughs> version of a liquor store. I've always I, said that and, and and look like this is we're cracking jokes but that is almost you know minus the boda box stuff that is almost word for word you know what is in these these religious opinions it's like if you've crafted a secular exemption it must go to churches no matter how dissimilar they are on the face of it. Okay. Yep. Um, that's super bad uh that's where we are this would go a step further than that. So let that, <sighs> let that sink in for a minute. Yeah. Um, and, and so because it is so completely insane, 
Um, it's going to start off with with four votes in the no column, right? You're going to get the three remaining lawyers uh, on the Supreme Court. Um, you, you will also get Chief Justice Roberts because uh, he will not want his institutional legacy to be um, the guy who let plague kill off the rest of the country. Yeah, um, th- Roberts then- has a real great conscience. <laughs> He's real concerned about his legacy. I really think he does not want his grandchildren to read like, you know, my history of the Lochner court. And then with a little asterisk that was like, until to, you know, <laughs> yeah, 2017, when uh, Chief Justice John Roberts presided over the end of the Supreme Court as we know it. Um, but, you know, there we go. So the question is, um, can you peel off another vote? Can you get a, a Kavanaugh or a Gorsuch? Um, no. So there you go. How much does Neil Gorsuch want people not to die? That's, that's ah, I feel like that answer wouldn't please us, Andrew. I got to tell you. Oh. Yeah, okay, right. so I guess that just leaves me with the question I think I'm asking far too often on my shows. What hope do we have, right? Half the country is unvaccinated. The pandemic isn't going away in any real way until they are. Is there a way to end this thing without a working government or legal system or the goodness of other human beings? I feel like I may have answered my own question there. At the end. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I'm I I, I play a, a happy optimist uh, on my shows uh, and and mostly in real life. Um, so let me try. Let me try it on this one. Um, I remember the 1980s. OK, um, it was where I formed my 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 formative political opinions. Um, and, and Ronald Reagan's surgeon general was a, uh, a bushy bearded guy named C. Everett Coop. And don't get me wrong. He was a total piece of shit on abortion and AIDS. And yep. I, I do not want to lionize him for a- any of that behavior. And, uh, and, and, uh, but, but he did a thing, um, that, that, I don't know if it remains a model, right? And that was um, he single-handedly, in the scope of about three years, changed the culture in this country about smoking cigarettes, right? Um, I I grew up at a time when airplanes had smoking sections, right? Like the first 13 rows were smoking. And then, you know, if you didn't like that, you could sit in the back because it's not like smoke would travel inside a sealed tube or anything, right? Um, and and like that seems preposterous now, um, but that's 100% due to the entire seismic social shift that went on in this country, uh, sort of championed by uh, by, by C. Everett Coop. So, yeah, you know, so- so what you're saying is we just need to have national leadership that changes the deeply held mindset of society where the headwinds are multiple billionaire funded conspiracy theory news outlets that have convinced 35 percent of this country that Hillary Clinton rapes and murders babies in the basement of a pizza parlor that doesn't have a basement. Got it. So it's easy, uh, people. Yes. It's easy. It's just like smoking on planes. <laughs> All right. Well, that seems like a perfect time to throw it to our next ad break. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Andrew here. And this portion of the show is brought to you by Feel CBD. CBD isn't about what you feel. It's about what you don't feel like stress, anxiety and pain. If you're in the market for CBD oil, I I recommend Feel CBD. Their site is backed by actual scientific research and tailored to different consumers with differing levels of strength from 600 milligrams for a precious little cinnamon bun like me to 2400 for people like, uh, you know, we don't have to name them. It's a full spectrum hemp extract containing less than 0.3% THC. So you'll keep a clear head with no hangover or addictions. 
Here's how it works. You place a few drops of feels under your tongue and you feel the difference within minutes, whether it's to help you sleep, reduce your anxiety, or lessen soreness and pain. And their deliveries are hassle-free and delivered directly to your door without a prescription. Call their free CBD hotline for assistance to find the right dose for you. Their monthly membership can make self-care simple. You'll save money on every order because you can pause or cancel at any time. So start feeling better with Feels. Become a member today by going to feels.com slash cleanup and you'll get 50% off your first order with free shipping. That's F-E-A-L-S dot com slash cleanup to become a member and get 50% automatically taken off your first order with free shipping. Feels.com slash cleanup. All right. Welcome back. Now, you know, uh, Eli, we usually do a comings and goings segment here in which uh, I tell you which uh, third assistant to the deputy undersecretary uh, that uh, Joe Biden has managed to uh, nominate this week. But I think we change it up a little bit and talk about the meta story, right? Um, How is Biden doing in terms of filling out a functional executive branch after years of uh, not just deliberate neglect, but, you know, deliberate efforts to dismantle it from the inside. All right. So uh, it seems to me, at least, that the answer is not great. Uh, So uh, on this show, you've previously plugged the Washington Post's Biden appointee tracker. And so I went there. Well, sorry, I first I had to find my way through seven paywalls in a cat suit while Sean Connery looked on. But then I went there. (laughs) Entrapment references. Always welcome here. Thank you. (laughs) So I I thought they might be. And according to the Washington Post's Biden appointee tracker, um, as of November 15th, Biden has filled just 179 Senate-confirmed nominees to serve in the executive branch out of 805 total positions. Uh, that, that, that batting average doesn't seem great. Nope, I'll, I'll not the Hall that. of Fame. So that lags way behind Obama's first term and Bush's first term, each of whom had confirmed about 350 such officials by now. That's roughly twice as many it even lags behind the bumbling incompetence and deliberate sabotage of the trump administration so yeah not great Uh, yeah all true but you'll notice that 231 more nominees are quote being considered by the senate right that's a backlog larger than the number of total confirmations right um over the last 10 months so late last week we learned a little bit about why that bottleneck in the pipeline is coming. And uh, spoiler alert, uh, it can be blamed on my old law school buddy, Ted Cruz. Oh, fantastic. And hey, it's not just Ted Cruz. It's also insurrectionist playboy Josh Hallway. So let me see if I have this right. So typically when you're appointing these important executive branch officials, but let's face it, there are over a thousand of these guys. There's a process to expedite things that every president since ever has gotten to take advantage of but because that's a norm and not a law republicans have figured out how to break it too and they've done so with a vengeance against biden do i have that right yeah you have that exactly right so look the constitution provides that certain key executive officials are subject to uh the confirmation with the quote advice and consent of the senate right and like that's the thing you see for secretary of state right but but as you point out there are 1200 of these executive branch of, uh, officials that are uh, that require that advice and consent. So look, 
Obviously, you have to have a Senate confirmation hearing for people like the Attorney General and Secretary yep, of State. That seems and important. I, I and I don't <laughs> think it's bad faith for the Republicans to demand that, even though their votes are all a you know foregone conclusion anyway. Uh, but but after a while, you're not talking about policy level decision makers, right? You're talking about boots on the ground. You're talking about the people that do the day to day job, um, career diplomats, the assistant to the undersecretary. And I'm not saying these aren't important people. These are really important people for getting stuff done. But you don't need a hearing, right? And, <laughs> and so the, the Senate can waive that. And that all they have to do is call for unanimous consent to proceed with the confirmation of, and then you read out like, I don't know, how many were pending? 231 names, right? Like you read out those 231 names, everybody says, I, you gavel, you go home. Oh, the word unanimous does not sound like a great word in Mitch McConnell's Senate. So, <laughs> so I guess what you're saying is when I see that Josh Hawley has blocked Biden's nominee for example, ambassador to Israel, Tom Nidez, and six other nominees, what that means is that he voted against the unanimous consent to waive a hearing. Yeah, that's exactly right. And look, um, because of the backlash, like, <laughs> you, you mess with Israel, you get you get backlash. So the day after Hawley's hold on Nidez, uh, that situation resolved itself, right? But uh, And he's since been confirmed. That's a good thing. Um, but, but again, the, the important thing to remember is Nidez wasn't a controversial pick. All of these are literally being held hostage for political gamesmanship that no other Senate in history has tried to do. So Hawley has holds on five other officials right now, right? Um, and, and we'll get into it. And he has said he will only lift them if, and, and I swear to God, I'm not making this up, Several of Biden's top officials, including Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken, and National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan, if they all resign over the administration's handling of the U.S. pullout from uh, Afghanistan. <laughs> cool, cool, tight, love this political system, works good. So... Because that's stupid, it means that anyone Holly doesn't give on will have to go through a full drawn out hearing and process, right? Yeah. And and again, I alluded to this, right? The guys Holly has his holds on these are the only ones that we know about, right? There, 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 there are others, are not decision makers, right? This is Biden's nominee for ambassador to NATO, right? <laughs> to assistant secretary positions, the nominee for coordinator for reconstruction and stabilization, and the nominee for director general of the foreign service. Well, that's an important one, right? You I really want to... Look, Josh Hawley <laughs> has an eye on the director general of the foreign I, service. I, they, they, they are. They're important, but but not, not confirmation hearings. <laughs> Important. Uh. Yeah, but don't worry, he's not the only one using that dumb excuse because your classmate and close personal friend Ted Cruz is maintaining a blanket hold on nearly all State Department nominees, and he claims it's over the administration's handling of... A Russian natural gas pipeline, which, <laughs> which seems disproportionate to me. It seems like an odd thing yeah. to hold out, uh, yeah. but I guess that's the game. Uh, by withholding consent, now, as we said, it all has to go through the regular drawn-out confirmation process, which means scheduling individual votes and holding floor debates where they will waste even more time.
Yeah, and and if you're wondering how much time is left on the calendar, right? Like how how often is the Senate actually in session over the next six weeks, right? Which include two major holidays. Um, oh, answer, let me guess. <laughs> not often, right? Um, in that limited time, I'm I'm pretty sure Biden would like to not take it all up with a bunch of stupid, meaningless floor votes, right? Like he he'd kind of like the Senate to you know pass legislation, maybe maybe sign off on that bipartisan uh, uh, infrastructure bill. Well, they've 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 cast that vote already, but uh, yeah. but the reconciliation bill is. Still I think he's got some stuff, right? He's probably he, got there, a thing or two. There's work that he would like to be done, but. Um, this is what exactly what what Hawley and Cruz and let's be real, McConnell are, are thinking, right? There are just two work periods left. Um, that's four days next week with a day off for Thanksgiving. Uh, and if, and that includes a fr- those four days include a Friday session that the day after Thanksgiving that I'm pretty sure is going to be lightly attended. Right. Um, just Newt Gingrich talking to himself. <laughs> I don't wandering. even work here anymore. But. I know. How did I know? They didn't change the key. At the Point thing. the camera at me. Uh, and then two weeks from December 13th to December 31. And again, you might recall there are several major holidays uh, that take place over those uh, over those 17 days. <sighs> so um, that's an impossible schedule to do anything and also confirm 231 uh, so what you're saying is that if someone like me were super angry that the Biden administration isn't accomplishing everything I want them to do right now, maybe there are some, uh, say, structural roadblocks that are standing in the way that isn't entirely his fault. I, I, that's kind of the lesson of the show, right? Like, I, it, it, I, I think it is important Right. Uh, particularly for those of us who are progressives. Right. You and I and, and, and we did this. Right. We did this on Scathing Atheist. We did this uh, uh, over on your shows. Um, I, I believe that you and I had Joe Biden like north of Marianne Williamson uh, on our list of of, uh, <laughs> of preferred candidates during the primary. Uh, but below uh, everybody else. Right. Like, I mean, yeah, I, we, we were way to the left of Joe Biden. And so I get it when I get. Um, usually their angry messages on Patreon, uh, desubscribing from the show and accusing me of, of, uh, you know, selling out to, uh, a big center or whatever, which, mm. um, uh, <laughs> by the way, that has not happened. Uh, I'm still available <laughs> to sell out to big left. If you guys oh, come up with a competing, competing bid, uh, Chopo trap over. house, give us a call. Yeah. Right. Any uh, fucking time boys. <laughs> so, but, but seriously, like, look, I get it when people say to me, I voted for Joe Biden because uh, he said he wanted uh, free college tuition for everybody. And he hasn't delivered on that. So I'm super mad and I'm going to stay home. And I get that. And if I don't stay home, then we'll continue to elect, you know, these pseudo Democrats who promise me stuff, but then never deliver. I, I do get it. But I guess what I'm trying to get at in that is. Uh, two things, right? Number one, sometimes the reason you're not getting what you want is not always as obvious as it appears. Right. Uh, and, you know, number two, you you also have to consider the consequences of that vote when lined up with, you know, the alternative. <laughs> right. Well, and also you got to remember that nobody, nobody, not the best intentioned person is going to sit there reminding you of the good things Joe Biden has done. 
right? Like the 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 effects of the child tax credit, which I I bang on about all the time, are going to be instrumental in lifting children out of poverty over the next five years, right? Literally hundreds of millions of children will be lifted out of poverty thanks to that child tax credit. But the New York Times cannot post a headline that's like, just a reminder, lots of people who otherwise couldn't afford to feed their kids will feed them this week by getting $300 in a way they have literally never gotten them before before or since. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, th that is not going to remind you of that. And neither is this infrastructure bill. Right? This infrastructure bill, when you talk to most people about it, they're like, I don't know, some fucking bridges or so. Our infrastructure, this is something that if in 25 years you take an economics class they will talk about otherwise you ain't never gonna hear shit about what this bill does you're just gonna be like i don't know my internet got faster around 2025 i have no idea why it's just uh, i guess verizon got their shit to like that stuff is not shiny and pretty and everyone who gets your money on both the left and the right does it by talking about the next scary thing yeah, no, I think that's it. That is really an excellent point in terms of the, you know, the, the direct economic incentives, but also, right, the discursive incentives, the, you know, we, our side feeds off of outrage as much as the other side does. Absolutely. As well. Yes. Yeah. Um, and, and it is boring <laughs> i know because i look for a way to make it slightly less boring every week with what we do um but like yeah uh, demolishing there's a there's a reason that you watch like them imploding the casinos on uh you know the the vegas strip like when that happens it's a, you know they show that on tv they do not show you like uh brick by brick building up the new casino in its place right like yeah to, like yeah. restoring stuff is less spectacular than blowing it all up yeah. uh and we just rod, had four years of that yeah yeah rod serling the creator of the twilight zone had a great quote which is that uh television shows car chases not commutes yeah right that's a, that's right? an excellent and it's like short. there's a lot more commuting going on than car chases but then you're like oh he's on the 95 and he flipped he <laughs> fucking roll right now they are rolling our country and we're all watching and being like oh that's gonna be bad that's gonna be bad oh he's running he's running on foot. <laughs> Great, great. Now, now I have that plus your love of cops kind of running through my head. So, uh, ex love of cops, ex love oh. of cops. <laughs> and I mean, and by the way, just so anyone listening to the show who doesn't know you, uh, I mean the schlocky nineties television TV show. show. I, I do not mean your love of of police officers, of law enforcement. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's I think that's the show. Eli, thank you so much for coming on to guest host. Uh, I've been really looking for. Uh, an opportunity to to do this with you uh, I really love it um why, why don't uh, why don't you tell folks where they can find you if they if they want more Eli in their ear holes all right I mean I already covered entrapment and I think that's the most important <laughs> thing I can plug that movie holds up and is not problematic at all don't worry about it actually hey it is still vulgarity for charity the uh fundraising drive that our community oh, does. Yeah once a year for the charity modestneeds.org. Uh, they can check out all the info for that over on scathingatheist.com. Uh, but as of right now, we've raised just over $60,000. And hey, you can give a dollar to get Andrew to say, but, or whatever, but you can give $50 and Andrew will roast Josh Hawley for you. 
So oh, and and I I suspect we've already floated. Uh, if if uh, I think if enough people demand that Allison do their roasts, then Ooh. we're gonna have to. We could co- we'll coerce her into doing it. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I am so. into that. Um, and yeah, I, if I was anything but a horrifying distraction while you tried to listen to Andrew, you can hear me and my two smart guys over on the Scathing Atheist God Awful Movies Citation Needed, where I threw in two extra smart guys for good measure, D&D Minus and The Skeptocrat. Uh, hardest working man in podcasting, Eli <laughs> Bosnick, right there. Thank, thank you so much. Uh, and seriously, if you're not listening to those shows, you should listen to those shows. I listen to those shows. They're great shows. Thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. Clean Up on Aisle 45 is written, researched, and produced by Allison Gill and Andrew Torres with editing by Molly Hockey. Our art and logo designer by Joelle Reeder and Moxie Design Studios, and our music is composed and performed by Adam Orr. Clean Up on Aisle 45 is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, visit mswmedia.com. Season four of How We Win is here. For the past four years, we've been making history in critical elections all over the country. And last year, we made history again by expanding our majority in the Senate, beating election-denying Republicans in crucial state house races, and fighting back a non-existent red wave. But the MAGA Republicans who plotted and pardoned the attempted overthrow of our government now control the House thanks to gerrymandered maps and repressive anti-voter laws. And the chaotic spectacle we've already seen shows us just how far they will go to seize power, dismantle our government, and take away our freedoms. So the official podcast of The Persistence is back with season four. There's so much more important work ahead of us to fight for equity, justice, and our very democracy itself. We'll take you behind the lines and inside the rooms where it happens with strategy and inspiration from progressive changemakers all over the country. And we'll dig deep into the weekly news that matters most and what you can do about it with messaging and communications expert, co-founder of Way to Win, and our new co-host, Jennifer Fernandez Ancona. So join Steve and I every Wednesday for your weekly dose of inspiration, action, and hope. I'm Steve Pearson. And I'm Jennifer Fernandez Ancona. And this this is is how we win. Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis's first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA As a first-time lawyer, I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler... How much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary... They were prepared to die to the last man. 
I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry. We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said, show me in a courtroom how we were at war. Expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is Lawyers, Guns, and Money. So you have a man in an Armani suit standing on the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch. You will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th, or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now.